So I think that um, we all we all have this tendency, or you know, if, if you don't, then good good for you. But I think you know we like to we like to fight to have our own way. Uh, we we like to defend ourselves. Um, yeah, I think I think most of us like to think the best of ourselves. And uh, you know, when when somebody points out something that possibly might be a, a flaw or something wrong with us, uh, you know, we're we're very quick to explain that away. And uh, you know, we're we we tend to be quick to react uh, before even considering that that person might be right. Am I am I off base here? <laughs> so um, you know, I'd like to talk today is about uh, the spirit and the flesh. You know, the the Apostle Paul talks about this this inner cl- inner conflict that we all have. He he admits that he certainly had this be- between the the spirit and the flesh. You know, often our uh, initial reaction tends to be from the flesh. You know, that, that seems to be our go-to. Defending ourselves, justifying our, our own actions, and, uh, you know, I'll admit it, I, I fall into this, this trap quite often. You know, my, in my pride, I tell myself, I know what's best. I know what I'm doing. And, you know, the thing is, when, it, when it's all about me, I'm often wrong. So, uh, you know, when, when I do that, I'm, I'm operating out of my own goodness, my, my own righteousness. I'm, I'm relying on, on my status or my background or my capabilities, my accomplishments, whatever, okay? And many times, even though we mean well, we rely on ourselves rather than relying on God. That's what this is all about. That's... That's the flesh. That's what it means to operate in the in the flesh. And the point of this sermon is is just to talk about how we we need to we need to operate from the spirit instead of operating from the from the flesh. Very very simple proposition. You know, let me let me put it this way. We need to trust in God rather than trusting in ourselves. Remember last last time uh, we we saw the woman from Bethany. She was she was honoring Jesus extravagantly, while the disciples in the flesh rebuked her. They remember what what was the, what did they ask? Why this waste? You know this this expensive oil. This this nard could have been it was it was worth a, a full year's wages. It could have been sold and, and given to the poor. But this this woman extravagantly poured this very precious oil on on Jesus the disciples though had had their own ideas and Jesus said leave her alone she she did good she's preparing me for uh, for burial anyway in today's text we see uh, Jesus's faithfulness Jesus's faithfulness, how he, how he trusts in the Father, how he submits to the Father's will. Uh, he he communes with the Father in prayer. He's he's led by the Spirit, and 
we see how that contrasts with the uh, the fleshly attitudes and the fleshly actions of the uh, of the disciples. So we continue this morning in Mark chapter 14 starting with verse 12. So turn with me in your Bibles to that. Mark 14:12. And on the first day of the unleavened bread when they sacrificed the Passover lamb his disciples said to him where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he'll show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who's eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and, and say to him, one after another, Is it I? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me, for the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It it would have been better for that man if he'd not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank, or they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say unto you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So, you know, the the scene starts out pretty slow here. You know, Jesus is sending the disciples out to uh, prepare for the Passover meal that they were going to have together. They were going to celebrate. Jesus gives them very um, precise instructions here. And, um, you know, we we don't know. Did Jesus talk to this guy who had the room beforehand? Uh, I... I don't, we don't know, but in any case, he, Jesus had this prepared, uh, the upper room. Anyway, so far, so good. The preparations are made for the place and for the meal. And, uh, the Passover feast was a, uh, it was a family celebration. I, I don't know if you've ever considered this, but, uh, you know, it was likely that there were more people involved in the uh, the preparation and the celebration than than just the twelve. You know, there there were most likely women there. 
You know, we're not given the detail, but really the emphasis is on the 12. The emphasis is on Jesus' interaction with the, with the 12. And it says, when the evening came, he, he came with the 12. Now, as, as the story unfolds, again, we're going to see the contrast between the disciples' fleshliness and Jesus' faithfulness in submitting to God's sovereign will. Um, you know, first of all, we need to define what what is the flesh. You know, I I was wondering um, if you've given it much thought. I've I've talked to Christians in the past who who have asked, you know, what what does that really mean? What what is the flesh? We we hear it a lot in the scripture. You know, depending on your what, what translation you use, some older translations will uh, say that a fleshly person is a, a carnal person. You know, that, that Greek root uh, is the same one that uh, in Spanish is carne, which means beef or meat. You know, it's, it's flesh. It's, it's, it's the, natural, uh, the natural man. Uh, a good summary of, of the biblical concept uh, of the flesh was given uh, when I was in uh, seminary. Uh, Dr. Ralston, one of the professors, gave us this definition, and I, I wrote it down. It's, he says the uh, flesh can be defined as the indwelling spiritual principle whereby I rely on myself for personal identity, security, and resources apart from God and in opposition to God. The indwelling spiritual principle whereby I rely on myself for my personal identity, security, and resources apart from God and in opposition to God. It's my, my innate tendency to trust my own efforts and, and accomplishments for God's favor. It's relying on my resources to get what I want in my time. You know, essentially it's me, my, mine. You know, it's all about self. Um... I was Chris and I were talking about it this morning, and she suggested a good definition. It's it's me minus the Holy Spirit. You know, it's it's who I am in my my natural state without the Spirit of God. Now, once they get started with with this Passover meal. You know, Jesus makes this this statement, which uh, must have been pretty shocking for the disciples. He says, "One of you is going to betray me. You know, one one of you who who is eating with me here is going to be is going to betray me." You know, this is uh, the, you know the the fact that it's a person who's who's eating with him that that just really uh, illustrates the egregiousness of of. This this betrayal, you know, this is this is a person who's been with Jesus for three years, has has been listening to Jesus's teaching, who's been going places with Jesus, who's been witnessing the things that Jesus has done. You know, learning from. I mean, could you imagine being with Jesus like that, walking with him, hanging out with him for three years, and then selling him out? Uh, you know, it's, it's it's bad enough that the, uh, the the religious leaders are seeking to kill him, but one of his own. Uh, 
you know, somebody who's, who's witnessed and experienced the love of Christ firsthand. That's, that's amazing. And the disciples react to what Jesus says. All of them did. Every one of them. He said, Jesus said, one of you will betray me. And the, uh, the ESV translate it like this, translates it like this. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? And, uh, I would suggest this uh, this translation really is pretty soft. Actually, whoever translated this is going pretty easy on the disciples because the the sense of this statement in the original language is one of indignation. And, and the word um, lupeo, which is this this word that's translated sorrowful, is, can can mean sorrowful. Or distress, but it also carries the meaning of being insulted or offended. You know, to the to the point of uh, causing emotional distress. The disciples were indignant that Jesus would would accept would would uh, express this. You know, is it I? Really, is in the form of a, a, an expected response. You know, sometimes we could we can ask a question where the answer is is we feel obvious, right? It's like you're not going to sit there, are you? You know, the answer is no, because you might be stubborn to do it anyway. Or um, you know, in, in Matthew seven sixteen, Jesus says, "Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes?" You know, the the anticipated response is, "Well, well, no, that's obvious." Or, or figs from thistles. You know, when Jesus has that, he expects an answer of no, of course not. It's the same here. And they're, they're ask, by asking Jesus, is it I? What they're really saying is, it's not I. I would never do that. I would never do that. You know, they're essentially telling him that, that he's wrong. None of us are going to betray you. You know, it's that, that fleshly, knee-jerking reaction of, of self-defense. You know, this, this is the kind of thing that happens when we are unable to admit our vulnerability or, or admit that we're wrong. You know, it's, it's self-defense. And, uh, you know, we, we feel like we have to have our say. We have to have the last word. Some of us are experts in having the last word, right? You know, this this uh, fleshly desire can be damaging in relationships. Anyway, after the Passover meal, Jesus goes even further. You know, he, he went from saying, one of you is going to betray me to you will all fall away. You'll be like scattered sheep. Uh, Jesus here is quoting from, from Zechariah where you know, Zechariah prophesies that the, the sheep will be scattered. The sheep will be scattered. That's what's going to happen. And we, you know, we, we all know the story. And, you know, he was, he was hitting home now. This, this is something that hit each one of the disciples. You are all going to forsake me. And what do we see happen? Self-assertive, self-confident Peter from the flesh says, nope, not me, not me. I'll die before I deny you. He, he spoke 
emphatically, you know, but, you know, as if by by saying it louder that it would make it true, you know, with with passion. But you know, Jesus, Jesus knows the heart. He knew Peter's vulnerability. He knew his weakness. He knew his inclinations. He says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before you hear the rooster crow twice. And you know that Peter had to have been insulted. You know, this, this had to have hurt his ego. And the others, though, they, they chimed in with agreement with him. You know, no, we're not, we're not going to do that, Lord. We're not going to turn our backs on you. But they did. Well, contrast here. Let's look, let's look at Jesus' faithfulness. You know, in contrast with the disciples' faithlessness and fleshiness, you know, Jesus stands out as the faithful one. You know, he, even though he knows that all are going to forsake him, uh, you know, and everybody's going to scatter to save their own skin, his trust is in the Father. He knows that God is sovereign. He knows he's going to do God's will. He knows what his mission is. He submits to the will of the Father, and he willingly lays down his life. You know, at the, uh, at the Passover meal, he, he shows, he gives a picture of, of how he is the fulfillment of God's saving grace. You know, in the original Passover, remember when the uh, Israelites left Egypt, God told his people to, to take a lamb, a lamb without spot or blemish, a perfect lamb, and put his blood on the, on the doorposts. In Exodus twelve thirteen, he tells them, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you or destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Well, it, you know, Jesus' words at the uh, Passover meal show that he is the sacrificial lamb. His blood will cover our sins. And when God sees us, he sees Jesus' blood, he'll, he'll pass over us, he'll spare us from judgment. You know, Jesus is the faithful one. You know, the one of whom Jesus said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know, when we partake of the bread and the wine, and we're going to be doing this next week, we remember Jesus. Remember Jesus said, do this, do this in remembrance of me whenever you, whenever you do this. We remember his faithfulness as the sacrificial lamb offering himself. You know, Jesus lived a sinful life. And, uh, you know, he lived a life filled with the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. He was moved by the Spirit. He, he died for our salvation. John fifteen thirteen sums it up. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. So we see Jesus' confidence in God. We see his, his faithfulness. You know, he's, he's relying on the sovereignty of the Father, submitting to his will. And then in contrast, we see the disciples relying on themselves, having confidence in themselves, rejecting God's sovereignty. 
you know, when we when we talk about God's sovereignty, we need to also remember the uh, counterpart, which is uh, our responsibility. You know, it's it's all in God's hands, but yet we have a we have a role. God's sovereignty does not mean that we're not asked to do anything, that we're not responsible for anything. We do have responsibility. So the main point is that, you know, the antidote for being in the flesh is to walk in the spirit. You know, that is, like Jesus, we, we need to be led by the spirit. We need to be filled with the spirit. We need to keep in step with, with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul in Galatians 5.16, he says, I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. We all have this, this inner conflict. Paul certainly did. He talks about it in Romans 7. We're not going there, but uh, that, that's a good place to look. So kind of begs the question, how do, how do we know that we're walking in the Spirit? How do we know that whether we're operating according to the flesh or operating by the Spirit? I've been asked that. Uh, you know, simple question we can ask ourselves is, you know, are, are we trying to do things by, by our own power or by God's power? You know, am I am I being self-focused, self-reliant, uh, self-sufficient, self-absorbed? You know, we we have any number of these these self things, these self sins. You know, they're specific things that are telltale signs. Um, one for me that I. Uh, like to think of is James one nineteen, where it says, Know this, my beloved brethren, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, sometimes I have to ask myself, am I being quick to speak, slow to listen, and quick to anger? If I am... You know, that's, that's one indicator for me. I know that, that I'm operating in, in the flesh. You know, sorry to say. You know, many times I try to rely on myself. You know, apart from, from trusting in God. And whatever I do, whatever I, do I, I learn real quick it doesn't work. You know, I need to walk by the Spirit. I need to be empowered by God. I need to think right and, and do right. Let's continue our our, uh, text. Uh, Let's continue in verse 32 where Jesus and the disciples go to the uh, the garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus gives us a a good example here where we see another contrast between being in the spirit and being in the flesh. So verse 32, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. 
And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation for the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were very heavy and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Is it enough? The hour has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs, and the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, had given them a sign saying, The one I kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scripture be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. You know, in the, in the garden, we, we see that contrast, don't we? Uh, you know, this, this time the contrast is between Jesus' prayerfulness and the disciples' uh, failure to, to be watchful and, and alert. You know, they, essentially they were prayerless you know, a couple of weeks ago when we were in chapter 13, Jesus talked about what was going was gonna to happen, you know, not only, not only immediately, but in the end times. You know, he, he told them to be alert. Be alert. Stay awake. Be watchful. You know, don't, don't become uh, complacent. Uh, and, and remember, he closed, he closed his talk with a parable about this, uh, this master, this man who was going on a journey and he left his uh, servants in charge. Remember that? You know, he gives them work to do and says, stay awake. You don't know when the master will return. You know, stay awake. He's saying the same thing here now in the garden. Stay awake. Be watchful. Remain here and watch. And in the garden, Jesus falls on the ground. He prays. And this picture we have here just shows the uh, the intensity of his prayer. It's a, a picture of prayer in a time of crisis. You know, Jesus falls down, prays to the Father, cries out to the Father. We see agony. We see turmoil, emotional turmoil as he prepares to, to take on the sins of the world. And as he prepares to be forsaken and beaten and bloodied, 
he's experiencing the uh, the utmost uh, of agony. Um, you know, submitting to the will of the Father. We see Jesus's faithfulness here. You know, he he willingly was walking into this. What he knows will will end in uh, his torment and his death. You know, knowing that the uh, the the sins of humanity and the the curse of sin will be laid on him. You know, I don't I don't think we have any idea of the magnitude of, of his agony at this time. But he prayed to the Father. He was faithful. He prayed, not what I will, but what you will. You know, he was he was faithful to the to the will of the Father. And then he goes to the disciples, and what are they doing? They're sleeping. They're sleeping. You know, after after Peter's bravado, uh, remember what he said. You know, even even though all will fall away, I will not. You know, we start to see Peter's unraveling. We see his his fleshliness. And Jesus sees them all sleeping, but he he singles Peter out. Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? And uh, he points something out, which is really kind of the crux of this whole sermon. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, your best efforts on your own in your power will result in failure. You know, we, we see an attempt of the flesh cutting off the servant's ear. And in the end, what was the result? That it was shame. You know, just as Jesus told them they do, they all fled. Zechariah's prophecy came true. The sheep were scattered. So, yeah, and one disciple ran away naked. Uh, what do we do with this? You know, what we, we how does this apply to us? We see, you know, the, the, the positive example of Jesus. We see the negative example of, of the disciples. You know, we see that we need to be faithful. We need to be not fleshly, but we need to walk in the spirit. We need to trust God. His power, not ours. We need to trust him in, in prayerful dependence, just like Jesus at the garden. And, uh, you know, first of all, you know, we need to be, we need to stop being so quick to justify ourselves. Uh, you know, we, we need to acknowledge that we are capable, we're susceptible. In fact, we're even prone to, to stumble and fall. You know, this is, this is there's a word for this in the bible it's called humility we need to do you do you have a hard time apologizing if you're wrong do you have a hard time admitting when when you're wrong um you know i've i've known i've known people who i don't know that they've ever even said i was wrong or i'm sorry you know, hopefully uh, nobody in here. If that's a problem, you, you, you're that, that's a good sign. You're operating out of the flesh, not not the spirit. 
You know, it's only, it's only when we acknowledge our weakness, only when we confess our, our failures that God's able to, to work with us and, and through us. James 5.16 says, you know, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power while it's, while it's working. Uh, you know, this, this confession can be really hard, but it's so simple. It might be as simple as just saying, I was wrong, I'm sorry. Uh, and this confession can bring so much healing to a relationship. You know, wives with husbands, husbands with wives, parents with children, people, you know, with with coworkers at, at work, you know, in, in any context where there's a relationship, this is important to be able to do. Uh, very important in relationships, you know, it, in our relationship with God, it's important for bringing restoration. It's important for bringing restoration in personal relationships. And we need to refuse the flesh and depend on the spirit. Uh, let's look at some examples there. You know, do, do we always insist on having our own way? Do we, do we get angry when things don't go our, our own way, you know, the way we want? You know, that's, that's a good indication of, of living in the flesh. We need to learn to, to trust God. We need to learn, let the Holy Spirit guide. We need to um, bear, the, bear patience, which is spiritual fruit. We need to get, trust in God's power, not our own. You know, the Spirit can help us triumph over addictions once we realize that we're powerless to to do it on our own. We need to give it to him, confess our sin, confess our weakness, trust in him. You know, we need to uh, seek God's will and submit ourselves to him, submit to his will. We need to be obedient to what he's calling us to do. Part of following Christ's example in, in the garden here is, you know, prayer. Make make prayer our first go-to. You know, the, the first person we need to talk to when we have issues is is the Lord. You know, prayer prayer should be our, our default. It should not be a last resort, but it should be a first effort. That's what Jesus did before every every major event. He he spent time with the Father before beginning his ministry, before picking the disciples, before his death. He went to the Father and prayed. He relied on the Father. You know, he, he relied on the Spirit and, and so should we. So let's wrap this up. Uh Jesus came according to God's plan, according to God's will to, to suffer and die for our sins. You know, this was, this was in accordance with the scriptures as, as Isaiah prophesied. Um, you know, he, was, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds, we were healed 
All we like sheep have gone astray, and we've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, Jesus died so that we could be saved. He died so that we could live in the Spirit, not in the flesh. You know, are you tired of going your own way? Uh, God has a way. He has the way. You know, that's to trust Jesus. We, we cannot save ourselves. We cannot live one day by our own power. You know, our salvation comes by God's grace. Our ability to, uh, to live in a way that, that pleases him also comes from his grace. You know, when we operate from the flesh, we, can't, we, don't, we don't have a chance. We can't, we can't do it our way. You know, we might try, but we'll always fail if we're not relying on him. So we need to trust in God's plan. We need to trust in his sovereignty. You know, the Christian life is not a passive life. You know, we need to stay awake, just like Jesus. Be prayerful. Walk in the Spirit. Day by day, moment by moment, you know, we need to surrender our stubborn wills to God. Rely on him to teach us, to lead us, and, and guide us. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we can be so stubborn and, and self-satisfied. Um, Lord, I, I thank you for the amazing patience that, that you have with us and, and the amazing grace that you have shown us through through Jesus. And um, you know, sometimes you let us reach the end of ourselves and realize that our way is not working. Uh, all we can do is look to you. Sometimes we're so low, all we, the only way to look is, is upward. So may we always have our eyes fixed on you. You're able, Lord, to, to keep us from, from falling. Thank you, Lord, for your redemption through Jesus. So to you... Be the glory and the honor and the power now and forever. Amen.